Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we are ranking our top five movies of 2023 so far. We're going to discuss the past weekend's insane box office. And IMAX's Patricia and David Keeley join us for a very special interview. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets. And of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days, like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use Staple 20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Hello, Blenders, and welcome Welcome to episode number 272 of Real Blend, a podcast that's about to teach you guys the difference between 143 and 190. And let me tell you, friends, it's a significant difference. On this week's show, we are ranking the top five movies of 2023 so far. We're going to discuss uh, this past weekend's insane, insane box office take. And our guests, quite appropriately, uh, due to the success of Oppenheimer this past weekend, uh, is IMAX. Chief gurus, uh, Patricia and David Keeley, a, a fantastic couple, married couple, uh, worked together at Quality Control uh, for IMAX and uh, guests that we've been trying to get on the show for a little while. And we're thrilled that they were able to come on this week in terms of uh, discussing all the things that they do with Christopher Nolan over the years. Uh, my name is Sean O'Connell. Hello. I'm the managing editor at Cinema Blend, and I'm joined each week by Jake Hamilton, who is normally in another location uh, while he's working for Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jake. How are you, sir? Hey, buddy. Good to see you, man. You're so handsome. It's been a long time since we've uh, all talked. We've been very, very busy, all of us, scattered it's to been, the winds. It's been, I mean, Kevin and I were talking about this. Look, not to sit here and be like, oh, aren't our lives crazy? But like the last eight weeks or so have been a lot. Well... They're about to slow down, so <laughs> substantially. <laughs> yeah, so relax. Um, <laughs> the other handsome face looking at you is Kevin McCarthy of Fox Five in Washington D.C. Kevin, how are you, sir? How are you feeling after that interview? I'm, do- I'm feeling great. They were amazing, and uh, for people tuning in, like the the people uh, that we have on, David and Patricia Keeley, are so in- important to why Nolan's IMAX. And, and that success and kind of what the IMAX theaters and the presentation has been doing for so many years now. Um, but, yeah, it's funny you mentioned about Barbenheimer. Like on Monday, I woke up and because we've been building to this weekend for so long that when on Monday morning, when I got to work, I felt a little like. Like, I don't like know. It was, yeah, like, <laughs> like, like the now. day after it Christmas. Was, 
Yeah. It was kind of like it was kind of like um, that scene in Soul when when he when he um, he finally gets to do that show and he walks out and he's kind of like he's not fully fulfilled. He thought that that was going to be the thing that was going to be everything to him. Oh, interesting. And and the reason I use that is because I was so excited for this build up and seeing Oppenheimer. And now I've seen it, you know, four times and things like that. But You've seen it, it four does times. It does yeah, feel. We appreciate you taking a break in between your Oppenheimer it's, screenings. Yeah. It's barely been out. More. It's barely been out four days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the by, the time this uh, seg this uh, this this actual episode comes out, I will have seen it five times. So well, if you're listening to this, least. I've seen Oppenheimer five times. <laughs> if it happens, would you call that an Oppenheimer? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. What did you, when when we were going to go see the movie, Jake said it's Oppen Timer, which made me really laugh. That, 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 was, that was, was funny. A really good one. Yeah, uh, that bomb was by Gabe Kovach. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> the producer's chair. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you very much for joining us. Please head down to uh, give us a like and a subscribe. We really appreciate you guys using the comments down there below uh, to weigh in on your thoughts on the show and give us your reviews of the different films, especially last week. A lot of people chiming in on the Greta Gerwig interview that we had in terms of Barbie and giving us their reviews of. Barbie and Oppenheimer. Of course, our last two interviews were with, as mentioned, Greta Gerwig, and then we had Christopher Nolan on the show. So make sure you go back through the archives and find them. Uh, the page over there is youtube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. You can find us all the different places you get your podcast need met. And you can also sign up for Real Blend Premium, which gets you an ad free version of the show. And this week, in particular, a newsletter uh, from me. And like I said, I did mention I was going to write uh, a little bit about the box office and how things have been going. And that's actually where we're going to start our conversations for this week, because holy cow, um, did those two films overperform? <laughs> um, and we were texting each other throughout the weekend, sort of saying, like, this is what it did on Thursday. This is what we're, where we're at as of Saturday. I think going into the weekend Kevin had said something along the lines of, like, if Oppenheimer does 70, it would, you know, sort of blow them away um oppenheimer ends up doing 82.5 million domestically it does 180 million worldwide but the story of the week um is barbie which did 162 million domestically uh and 356.3 million dollars worldwide uh truly stunning yes gabriel I'm, so according to box office pro that those two combined for the fourth highest earning domestic weekend of all time and in the best summer weekend on record. That's incredible. So, Kevin, I know you've been to the theaters. Michelle and I went to Barbie on Sunday and it was so inspiring to see yeah. the amount of foot traffic that was going on. And, and maybe it was just because. It's been so long since I feel like the multiplexes have been that busy with just general crowds. Um, I'm not saying I got used to them being a little bit more sparse, you know, during COVID and then coming out of COVID with people sort of gravitating back towards them for certain titles. But I even feel like, you know, if I went to the theater to go see something like No Way Home, um, it wasn't like it was this past weekend. This past weekend was really a throwback to when you would have five blockbusters performing at one given time and everybody was coming out to go see something. But what was most remarkable too, 
is just to see the number of people who were dressed in pink or who were waiting uh, their their turn to get into that giant Barbie box, you know, to get their picture taken so they can post it on social, um, which is really funny if you watch the movie, because getting into the box is not something that's recommended by the character. Hmm. And yet the studio wants you to do that as you come out. Um, so I, I, I just, you know, aside from these numbers, which are remarkable, I was just enthused and really, really blown away by the by the reaction I was seeing from people uh, in the theater and 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 people going out to the movies. We brought, you know, two friends of ours who have not gone to the movies in a really long time, but wanted to go see Barbie because of the uh, attention it was getting and just because of the way that the marketing. In my opinion, I think that this is a complete marketing win. Do you guys think it's anything other than. Uh, I mean, quality of the film, you know, and the reviews going into it and word of mouth, probably. But but like this marketing phenomena of Oppenheimer or, or Barbenheimer is something I don't know if we're ever going to see it. You know, I don't know if we've seen it before or if we're going to see it again for a really long time. Jackie, what do you what's your takeaway from it all? You know, I love talking to people about theatrical experiences, theatrical moments in time that I'll never get to experience. I love talking with, you know, people at work about what was it like when you went and saw Jaws opening weekend? What was it like when you went and saw Star Wars? Because it's just one of those like (laughs) flashes of pop culture history that I'll never, I'll never know. I'll never know. You know, you see, you you see those old great black and white pictures of the line outside man's uh, Chinese and and Hollywood. And it's just like, God, like that would have been so cool to be a part of that moment and and maybe not even realize that you were a part of that moment and look i'm not trying to to you know throw hyperboles in the air when it comes to this but like this sort of feels like one of those moments that in 30 40 years we're going to talk back and and go dude remember that weekend that, that barbie and oppenheimer came out on the same day my girlfriend and i were driving through a parking lot to get to somewhere else but in order to do so we had to drive by the front of a movie theater and i guess we were doing so right as a big crowd was letting out and not only i sent you guys a picture not only was that crowd flooded with people wearing pink there was a guy wearing an old 1940 suit and a brim hat so he either had to be dressed as oppenheimer or it was just a crazy ass coincidence that this guy who dressed in 1940s clothes was going to see barbie all i know is that it it wouldn't surprise me it really it just it really (laughs) did feel like a moment and and gabe captured it perfectly too because uh, there was a part of me that felt a little guilty when the weekend was over because having had seen both because we all did the junkets, obviously I didn't go this past weekend. And when the weekend was over, there was a part of me that went, should I have gone? Like, did that's I, did hilarious. I just miss You're out lamenting not being part of these historic moments that you didn't go. You're still not going well, to be able to see We've seen them. And, and, you know, <laughs> and, and it's just also like, look, I, this is going to be blasphemy on this show with this crowd, with this audience. But like, isn't it nice to sometimes just have a weekend where you don't watch a movie? You know what? Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. And so it was it was great. It made me very happy. And, and I was per- perfectly happy to like seeing other people do it. But I did feel, even though I'd already seen both films, a little bit of FOMO having not taken part in what seemed like a pretty cool weekend for a lot of people. Kevin, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are days that you don't have to see Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> they exist. Those days exist. You can well, just hang out. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you to all of the Real Blend listeners who have been sending us tweets about where you're seeing Oppenheimer and how you've seen it. And um, I did. I went to the theater. The journeys people are making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I went to the theaters three times this weekend. Um, so I had the Thursday night crowd. I had the Friday night crowd and I had the Sunday morning crowd. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It made me teary eyed walking into to these gigantic crowds. Um, it took five minutes just to for the usher to tear my ticket because I, I still print out my I, my ticket, even though I buy it online. I still print out my ticket and I want it to be torn. Um, it's just something I love. And so the line just to get into the, the usher to tear the ticket w- took five minutes. That's cool. Um, and, wow. and I See, that's old school, man. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in high school lining up and, yeah. and waiting and like hoping like I'm in an R rated movie and a friend from high school sold me the ticket and wasn't supposed to. I'm sitting there like hoping this usher doesn't ask me how old I yes. am. Like, yeah. I just want to tell a real quick story. We bought our tickets on our phone and we met two friends. And when we got there, our two friends were already at the concession stand, even though I had their tickets. So Michelle and I just walked over to go meet them because they were in line. And then I realized we didn't show our tickets to anyone. <laughs> 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 how easy it is to just walk into a theater. If you don't want your ticket torn, you could just walk right past the guy. Apparently, I had you guys. You guys have to let me know uh, on a scale. I didn't actually do this. So but I want to know how on a scale of weird, how weird this is. Because Jake mentions the FOMO and I was texting you guys that I had dropped the ball on ordering tickets early enough. And so when I tried to get tickets for this weekend for Barbie, because because we didn't end up having a, a press screening, um, everything was sold out or I couldn't get two tickets to anything that wasn't like Sunday at 11. Um, and so I was texting you guys of like, I'm kind of bummed that like I won't see exactly what Sean's talking about. The multiplex filled like this because I can't remember the last time I saw that. And I stopped for a minute and I went, what if I just went and, like bought a Coke? And I just like walked around the lobby and then just went All home. Right, that's weird. That would I be was a like, weird. That's what I ended on. I was like, yeah, that's too far. I'll just I'll just watch TV. That's fine. Before I, I know we're touting the success of these other movies, but I do want to while we're on a box office topic, I want to bring up some of the other ones that have played this summer that haven't had this level of success. Um, and we have these massive franchise films that, you know, came to theaters whether it be Transformers or Indiana Jones um, or The Flash, even Mission, and did not play to the level, you know, that that I think we expected them to play. And so, so, you know, I don't think that the takeaway from this is like make original films, you know, and, and throw the money behind original filmmakers, while I think that that's a great idea. But what I can't put my finger on a reason why you know, the the Indiana Jones movie didn't draw people out to the theaters or why the Mission Impossible movie had a 67 percent drop in its second weekend. Um, and yet these other people came out for the original films. Do you guys have any insight or theories as to why these films aren't doing the, the ones that well, came up to this leading into this weekend didn't do nearly as well as these two other films? Well, the mission mission uh, story is easy. I mean, essentially, Mission opened a week and a half prior to Barbie and Oppenheimer. It lost its IMAX screens the day, you know, the, the evening that uh, Oppenheimer opened. IMAX is obviously a, 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 an additional charge. But I think what you, what you're seeing and I think what's really telling is with Nolan having this three week exclusivity with IMAX, he clearly needed it. I mean, like the I mean, like I there are there are theaters in my area that are sold out until like August 4th. Um, in IMAX like it's it's that's that's how big of a deal that Nolan name is and I think Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible I think that was the wrong date for the film I could be wrong I know Oppenheimer had that date uh, July 21st well before Mission moved there Um, listen Mission had to move a couple of times that's true Mission should have been out a while ago I don't know they should have saved it for August 
Yes. At the very least. Yeah. That's where I was going with this. Like mission mission really by by opening up where it did, it didn't do itself any favors. It, it, It lost that IMAX screen. Also, this weekend was a phenomenon. I mean, it was either yeah. Barbie or Oppenheimer. It was like it, 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 that's all anybody was talking about. And I think I don't know that. I mean, I, I know Tom Cruise was probably aware of how big of a deal this was going to be, but I don't think anybody knew how large scale this was going to be. I mean, you're talking a collective over five hundred million dollars worldwide with these two films. And it's an astounding thing. It it. it, it it really brought people back to the movies in, a, in like in like a Top Gun Maverick type way. Even I even bigger than that. It was even bigger than that. Um, That's a good comparison. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's huge. All right. Well, speaking of Top Gun Maverick, which was near uh, the tops of our year end lists in 2022. And I kind of wish I knew the number of the episode that I could send you guys to. But go back through the archives and find out where we picked our favorite movies of last year. We are now at the midpoint of 2023. And so we thought what we would do here is reveal uh, the top five films that we have seen so far this year uh, from a real blend perspective. Gabe, why don't you uh, take the stick here and tell me how we're going to actually end up doing this? Yes. So we are going to reveal, I'm going to reveal the show's top five films of the year. I've done that by behind the scenes, gathering these three gentlemen's personal top five lists again so far. Um, and I've aggregated some scores similar how we do the top tens if you've if you've been listening to us for some years now. Um, and I've aggregated that all together to come up with what is Real Blend's top five of the year. So I would like to go through five through one um, and then go around the horn with each one and hear where you guys have it on your own personal list uh, as a check in halfway through the year. Um, we've reviewed, I think, all of these films. Yes, we've reviewed all these films on the show. So you can you can hear our full full thoughts um, if you if you search for that on our feeds um but that should be fun that should that should love be about it, it. and then it'll, and this. i'm curious to see i do want to hear from you as well if you think it's going to stay as high as you guys have it whenever uh, when you're discussing your list but should we jump right into it let's, let's go. go let's do it well we're going to start with a tie Ooh. so making up our making up our top five is a tie for fourth <laughs> that's very on brand it's on brand it's on brand um I'll, I'll start with the first fourth place movie, which is uh, Indiana Jones, Indy 5. Um, really? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Now, All right. And uh, I believe it was only on one of our lists. Uh, so, Kevin, why don't you take it away? I mean, I where, love that film. Was, where was it on your list for the folks that don't know? Number two on my list. Um the ending of that film, I saw it twice. It, it's it, it reminded me of when I was a kid again, it reminded me of the original trilogy. The ending, I think, is perfect. But like it, it really is a, a, a phenomenal uh, ending. And I loved it. I, I think Mangold crushed it. I think he made the most the most Spielberg indie since Crusade. Um, and I just think it's a really special film. I think John Williams' score is fantastic. Phoebe uh, Waller-Bridge is excellent. Um, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, Boyd Holbrook. It's, it's, I, I really, really loved that movie, and I'm so happy it's on our list. It was my number two. It was, was my number one uh, until it was unseated by a certain film. Well done. Well done. Okay, Barbie. so our, our, our other tied for fourth film is on two of your lists. Uh, and that is, of course, fitting for the weekend. Barbie, hey. tied for fourth on our list. Sean, I'll let you start us. Where was this on your list? And I have why it at is it that high. I have it at three. Um, I've given apparently three five out of fives uh, this year. 
So three, two, and one for me are getting five out of five. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was stunned that I gave this movie five out of five, but it worked so extremely well for me Um, in the sense that I've not seen anything like this before in my entire life. I can't think of another movie to compare it to in that, in that it, it can swing from being as silly as a sort of like Saturday Night Live type, you know, sketch comedy type thing to, you know, these moments where I was legitimately choked up uh, and really moved at the sort of philosophical human, you know, discussions that it was triggering. And then it would swing right back to a musical number uh, or a Saving Private Ryan homage <laughs> involving Ken dolls. Um, and it uh, to me, it just so fully committed to its bit um, that probably in the wrong hands, it wouldn't work. But Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie did such a tremendous job of sort of shepherding this through. Um, I thought the performances across the board were remarkable, but I thought Ryan Gosling was on another level. Um, and I laughed so hard. I, I, I cried. I legitimately got teared up. It has a Snyder cut joke that hit me like an uppercut <laughs> that I was legitimately I immediately when that was over. We were like, oh, my God. Like, and we even Kevin, did we like specifically say we can't ruin that joke for Sean? We, we didn't have, say like, anything. We have, yeah. And I know you guys told me that there was a joke, but yeah, I kind of right. forgot. Okay. I kind yeah. of forgot. And and I had no clue it was coming at all. <laughs> and uh, and boy, it just it landed. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I and, and again, I am sort of celebrating. I said Brian Gosling was on another level, but really, Margot does an incredible job in the part um, and has to go through like I, I'm really excited to see it again once you realize the places that it's going to eventually go, because once yeah. you kind of realize what is inspiring her journey and and who is the person behind her journey, I'm sure that first half is going to take on all different other meetings in terms of the ways that she played it. So the production values were incredible and the creation of Barbie land were phenomenal. Maybe it loses a little bit when it goes to the real world. I understand that. And, you know, I know some people were sort of poking fun at the Will Ferrell uh, elements as being a little bit too broad, but they worked for me. I thought they were really, really funny. So I put that at number three. Kevin, where was this on your list? So I had Barbie at five. I mean, and it's interesting because, as I was saying earlier, I, I this weekend I wanted to make sure I saw Barbie and Oppenheimer in the weekend because I just wanted to experience it. And just, the, you know, at, like Jake was saying, to kind of like go back and go. I went to the theaters that weekend and, and saw those two films. Um, I liked it so much more the second time. Um, I for, for me, you know, it's a film that, as you said, Sean, uh, the second viewing is really actually fascinating because once you've taken it all in and, and experienced it, like there, there, I had some issues the first time around. I think some of the tone um, shifts a bit and I didn't think it knew what it wanted to be at times. I thought you could feel the length slightly. Um, it is it. You're, you're right, Sean. I never seen anything like it before. It's yeah. so out there and so wild. Also, for people listening to this. Go online and look up the behind the scenes. They shot this like an old school film, like even mm. like Greta told us um, in our interview on Real Blend. You can check it out, obviously, um, on our past episodes. But look at the set designs, like when they're traveling from the Barbie land to the real world. That's practical, man. That's really mm. cool stuff, how they did that. Um, I was just it's it's such a fun experience, but also profound and thematic and and life affirming and, and mm-hmm. thought provoking and really special film yeah all right that is barbie and indiana jones and the dial of destiny tied for fourth making up the bottom of our top five in third this might be the bombshell of the list 
Our number three is John Wick four. Oh, Damn that's right. interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Wait, wait, uh, who else didn't have that? Jake. I didn't have this? it, but it was in contention. Yeah. Okay. Jake, where is this on, uh, on your list? This is perfect. It's number three on my list. There you go. Um, I just think it is one of the most beautifully, meticulously crafted action films in a very long time. Uh, just top-notch, high caliber, every asset. That from the cinematography, the action choreography, like honestly, like Keanu's performance is perfect in that, but so many of the amazing supporting performances that made up this universe. Um, I kind of felt like three got a little into the weeds of like while the action was getting bigger and better and wilder i felt like uh chapter three got a little into the weeds of the whole mythology of that world and what the rules are and what you are and are not allowed to do and i thought four did a really nice job of sort of scaling that back to the level of simplicity of honestly even close to the first film while not sacrificing the quality of action that they had reached in fact like surpassing it um i you know it it not to this caliber, but sort of reminded me of like a, a Mad Max Fury Road where it's just like, oh, mm. my God, like they have transcended not just what action movies are right now, but just what that series is and what that series can be. And I know that I'm naive in saying this, but I would love if that were the last one. It would be Same. a perfect last one. But I just I truly, truly, deeply love that movie. Yeah, I, I um, is also my number three. Nice. Uh, and you had it at four. Sorry, the list you gave oh, me, you had it at four. Four. So did I, what did I have it through? Oh, wait, hold on. You're right. You're right. It was at four. My apologies. I was, I was, I had a couple different lists that I was drafting that, that I sent to you. That's all right. Um, uh, first of all, I want to plug Chad Stelheski, who was great on our show. Uh, phenomenal um, interview that Jake and I were able to be a part of. It was so much fun to talk to him. Um, Jake makes a great point. It's it is it does feel like a Mad Max Fury Road situation. It's it's an insane film that that I can't believe actually exists. Uh, um and it's actually my favorite of the John Wicks. Um that scene with him and Donnie Yen that the heat uh, homage sequence where they're sitting in the church together basically right before they're about to duel. Um is just remarkable. It's like a really phenomenal sequence that I, I just Love that calm before the storm aspect of things. And then the staircase scene is probably one of the more immersively brutal things I've seen in a movie where I could just feel him going down those steps. If you see it in like Dolby or IMAX or something like that. So um, it's been a hell of a year. I cannot believe I had a hard time putting this list together because films like Air and all these other movies that I wanted and, and Asteroid City. These were all films that were floating around in my mind, past lives that I wasn't even able to like bring into my top five, but it's, it's been a hell of a year so far. And we I still really have new Scorsese. Dude, we still have new, new Scorsese. We still have new Villeneuve. We still have uh, yeah, new uh, Fincher. Magic Coopers. Maybe. I mean, Fincher. What a freaking year, yeah, man. I just want to throw out really quick about John Wick 4 because I, I, I was part of my list. Um, I was recently on a plane and I was looking through what am I going to watch? What am I going to watch? And I realized the guy sitting next to me was watching it. And I ended up just watching him watch it. <laughs> I watched it with no sound. And he was like halfway through it. And I was like, I'm just going to watch him finish this movie up. And it was great. It's still great. That is uh, John Wick 4, our, our number three. Number two is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Bang. Jake, where was this on your list? This was my number one. Um, and, and, and again, not to, you know, please, one of, one of my pet peeves about doing 
uh, the list halfway through the year is inevitably people remember it. And, you know, down the road in six months, if you change the order of things, they're like, well, uh, 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 you had it ahead of that. No way. So <laughs> just remember, this is just just a snapshot of where we're at at this moment. But I just I think it's a stone cold masterpiece. I think it's yeah. one of the most incredible cinematic experiences. Just I sat there in the theater by myself and watched just a piece of a piece of art come alive in front of me. It, it looked like, you know, if, if you were to be in a museum and you know you see a, a frame of like a really nice beautiful piece of spider-man art uh you know like an alex ross or something which and is a museum imagine... sean is putting together himself yeah <laughs> well, it actually there's there a <laughs> alex ross exhibit in chicago right now um but and you know you and it would like you you look at this this moment that he was created and you imagine okay well what would that scene be this is like a two and a half hour version of like your imagination running wild while watching a piece of art. It's just, and also like the vocal performances, it's such an incredible reminder that voice acting is just as legitimate and just as much acting as any other form of acting out there because, you know, everyone from, from Haley Steinfeld to Oscar Isaac all just gave stone cold, incredible performances. And I just absolutely worship this movie. All right. Beautiful. Jake's number one so far this year. It didn't crack into Kevin's top five, but it did make your list. Sean, where is it at on your list? Wait a second. I feel like we yeah. need to. I need to feel like we need to discuss that just for a hot <laughs> second. It's not in your top five. No, I, I I love that film, but it's to me, it's still half a film. Oh. It's still it's still it's it's still okay. not a complete movie until I see okay. part two. Okay. And, and again, don't get me wrong. I loved it. It's yeah. a great movie. But okay. I still have I still struggle with the fact Ooh. that it's not a full, complete film. OK, that's just me. Uh, I put it at two, which is remarkable to, to me personally, um, because it's essentially my favorite film starring my favorite character uh, of all time. And it, I echo everything that Jake just said. It's it's legitimately a, a piece of art. There's there's sequences in it that blew me away, uh, specifically the watercolors. For Gwen Stacy's world, um, I thought the story was amazing. I thought it built on the first one tremendously. I loved the cliffhanger of where it left us. I'm so excited for the new one. Lord knows when the new one's going to happen. Do, t- Lord do does know. Let me ask you, outside of Barbie and Oppenheimer, is uh, Spider-Verse the, the, the third success story of the summer? We don't have many of them. Uh yeah, Mario. I, mean, I guess it has to be. Uh, well, I well I, I, I Mario was April. I, I feel like it's. I feel like this. I would say the summer kicked oh. off with Guardians. Okay, summer. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, I, I, so. I, I, I do think that there is some credit to be given to how much Elemental has stuck around. Absolutely, oh, I wanted to bring yeah. that up in yeah. the box office chat. Yeah. yeah, I'm thrilled that that's happened to yeah, that film. Same. Did that cost yeah. 400 million? Not yet, but they're saying it's going to, which would which would be pretty close to what they say it needed to to break even. So I'm really great. glad you brought that up. It's so it's a 358 million right now. When that film opened, there was so much doom and gloom about box office and Disney and people are so used to Pixar now in their homes. And this film has just been trucking along like yep. every weekend and remaining in I think it's remaining in the top 10. It, it's awesome to see. And it just shows you that. An opening weekend, while it is a big deal, of course, with Barbie and Oppenheimer, it was these these leggy films are really interesting. And Elemental just kind of it found a little sweet spot and just kind of it, started hitting audiences. It's is great. that the sort of thing? I mean, the Pixar, the the animated, the sort of quote unquote kids film effect of 
it doesn't really matter when the movie came out. Every weekend, parents are looking for something to help distract the kids. Yeah. Or, or I think that's a big do. thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like it could have been like if let's say there was it has a, to be a good movie, movie to start with. But for sure. But like if Illuminati had a, a, another Minions movie that happened to be dropping like around this time, would it cut into that business? I'm sure, you know, and, and but I do think it's having the family option right now. And uh, good move. Do you on mean Illumination? Part. Illumination? Is that what you mean? What did I call them? Illuminati, which is. Some, <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way. And they put a minion. Is the Illuminati put out their minions movie? <laughs> yes. Illumination. But Thank you very much. I was I was just looking at this just now. I, I, where do you guys think if don't look this up, if you had to guess, where do you think the worldwide number ended for Little Mermaid? Uh, just curious. Five something. I think I five something. Below, I would say below five. 560. Oh. 560. It did well. Yeah, it, did it did well, but did it do... That could have been a billion-dollar film. I was going to say, I, five, 560 feels low to me. I think so, too. I think that that... I think I Little Mermaid, I think if it had been better, could have been a billion-dollar film. I mean, like, like ex- explain to me how... And I get that one is, is more popular than the other, but, but not double popular. Explain to me how Lion King remake does a billion... Yeah, right. But lying, but Little Mermaid did well, multi. You think the jungle, novelty of these book. live action, the novelty of, of like God, telling the same so. story in live yeah, action is yeah. Lion off. King was like the tip of the spear of that sort of, and also like Jungle Book, I think made a billion. But like after we saw the underwater sequences in Avatar, it just it just made Little Mermaid. It just didn't look anywhere near as good. So it, like I, I again, I don't know if that factored into the box office, but. It's an interesting thing to think about because that film felt like it was going to be a like Barbie is probably wait. Do you guys real quick, real quick? Yes or no? Does Barbie make a billion dollars? Oh, yeah. Yes. Easily. Yes. Easily. 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 Yes. Uh, I think so, too. OK, it'll crush right. for weeks. All right. Now, after the tangent of all tangents, we're going to return to our top five, top five list. Um, <laughs> and it's you know, I think it's what everyone expected to happen. Uh, but our number one film as a show is Christopher Nolan's. Oppenheimer. Sean, where yes. did you put this on your list? Number one, um, which again surprises me um, as the not quite the Nolan guy on the show, uh, but I truly feel that this is I, I can't say that it's his masterpiece and thank God we haven't done the tier list for Nolan because I'm not quite sure what we <laughs> I'm do. I'm a little surprised we haven't to be honest with you. Um, I mean it would just... We have four hours. Just be yelling. At but that's people. the thing. Like when <laughs> none of us would he, agree on what the S is. When he operates at at such a high level, it's it's really difficult to say what his. But but why I love this film as much as I do, and why I even put it above Spider Man uh, across the Spider Verse is, I think that it's it a big does, deal. By the way, that's a huge, a huge deal. That huge that's your deal. number one. Yeah. No, I know it's huge. Um. I don't, Everybody yeah. who came to play for this movie, and I've only seen it the one time and I'm really anxious to go back and see it the second time, does exactly what they're supposed to do to the highest level that they are meant to do it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's it, obviously Nolan and the way that he's operating. I think that he is playing with time, but not in a way that's too distracting. Um, I think that that makes this film one of his most successful ones. It's dealing with the past, which he loves to tell stories about the past. Um, and it's focusing on uh, a tortured lead character who's struggling with something that they're trying to either figure out or solve. Um, the cast is is incredible. I mean, the people who are in their significant parts 
And then right down to the supporting people who show up for their one or two scenes. The way that it's laid out is so satisfying so that if you realize that the the pinnacle of the film is that one conversation between Einstein and Oppenheimer and the way that the film gets you around to finally revealing what's said between the two of them and how that impacts the other threads that you've been watching is remarkable. And uh, yeah, I, I can't see. I, I felt after that movie, the way I felt after seeing something like a Zodiac where I was just yeah. like, that is that filmmaker working at their utmost, like the top of their level. And uh, so, yeah, I was I was floored and um, I'm dying to go see it again. I have not had the time. It's obviously a big commitment, but uh, yeah, it's my number one as of right now. Jake, I'll be very Jake, quick. Oh, go well, ahead, go ahead. Uh, Jake, uh, where did it end up on your list? Uh, it was it was my number two. Okay. Uh, you know, Sean and, 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 and what Kevin's about to see, we'll, we'll wrap it up perfectly. But it's just it is just a fucking uh, sledgehammer to to the brain and to the heart and it was it's just it's phenomenal i am going to be honest and say that i am fairly certain for the rest of my life dark knight will probably always be my favorite nolan film um but if you would ask me you know going back to the to the og real blend days where you know we differentiated between the difference between best and favorite, mm-hmm. right. I think there's a really solid case to be made that this might be his best. It feels film. like a culmination of everything that he's yeah. learned yeah. to yeah. do. So, and been yeah, I mean, practicing. like Dark Knight has like a place in my heart that just can't be replicated um, so for so many different factors. Begins is, is better. <laughs> begins is a better Batman yeah. movie. Is it such a? It's such a. Better I think Batman Sean makes movie. a good argument for that. I think Sean has a very fair argument for that. That's I mean, another, I, that's I, another I podcast, but I, I think I think that's a fair. I think they're not as disparate as people. The Dark Knight is just the Dark Knight, and it's just sure. it's held on such a pedestal that that sounds weird. But I think Batman Begins is is also up there. Sure. Um, I was going to joke and say, Kevin, this is where you reveal that it didn't make your top. It five. didn't make your top five. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. I don't think I can get away with that. Um, you're number one with a bullet. Yeah, huh? and I. And I've already waxed poetic about the film, so I'm not going to go into that again. And we're going to talk about this again in our top tens. I don't think think anything's going to knock Oppenheimer out of the show's top ten. The only thing I'll say differently this time, and if you're watching on YouTube, these are these are the glasses that Ryan Gosling gave me during my Barbie interview. I just saw them sitting over here, and I just wanted to put them on. Um, In terms of this film... I got to take these off for this. Um, I was going to say, it's going to be hard to take you seriously. (laughs) So, the the first time you see Oppenheimer, it's... As Emily Blunt said it, you feel it in your bones like it's a, it's a it's a film that is that is a master filmmaker operating at the highest level with all the knowledge that he has and immersing you as an audience member. The second and multiple times that I've seen this movie, it feels like a 45 minute film. Like I mm-hmm. sit down each time to watch it. and I'm like, am I going to feel the three hours this time? Because the first time I didn't. And as I've watched it multiple times since I saw it in 70 millimeter, I saw it in IMAX 190. Um, it is just a it, it, it just trucks along. It's so perfectly paced. And Ludwig's score, mm. the way that is integrated into the film is so atmospheric and brilliant. I am just happy to be witnessing Nolan in my lifetime. Mm. I genuinely feel that way. And I said this in the show. I, I wasn't around for Hitchcock. I know you were uh, Sean and Kubrick and Orson <laughs> Welles and all those guys. 
but it, it, it is a Sean, special Sean, you get the thing. joke? It's because you're old. <laughs> Sean discovered Orson Welles. I gave him the sled. <laughs> he was writing plays in New York, and Sean said, you should make pictures. You should make pictures, see? You know what, son? But, uh, you know, uh, so I've, I've been um, re-listening to the Sidney Lumet book, Making Movies, uh, past couple days. And just the, the, the way he talks about editing and sound design and music choice, I, I've been thinking about it a lot as I've watched Oppenheimer and just the way that Sidney breaks down a filmmaking process. I just, I'm just envisioning Nolan in that process. I mean, Oppenheimer was shot in 57 days, apparently, according to Killian Murphy. I think he was on Mark Maron's podcast, which is an astounding, astoundingly short. That's the Nolan thing that I think gets overshadowed, at least in the broader sense, because his, he works at such a scale. I think that there's takes several layers for people to realize that how efficient he is. As yes. a filmmaker, how many producers and studios have said, oh, yeah, he comes in either right at budget or under budget. And his he doesn't take long days or actors talking about like it's just me, him and the cinematographer and maybe a grip who's helping. Well, us I think he shot. spends a lot of time planning this out sure. before he oh, goes yeah. to it. Right. But that gives you, you so think how much. long he thinks about it. That so. gives you so much. But, he doesn't come uh, to the set like looking to find what he's going to try to get. <laughs> he shows right. up and he knows like I'm getting this. And no, the the the, the the plane into the uh, airport in Tenet was actually an ad lib. They on the was day it? they were like, let's can we crash this plane it? into the, the, the plane? Hey, was we improv. should do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's. One thing I will say about this though is last thing I'll say about this is every single performance in the film when they show up, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek. Gary Oldman, these little bits, they hit so freaking hard. And I'll tell you right now, if you want to see something exhilarating, watch that speech scene with the feet uh, banging against mm. the, the rafters with a crowd. I it's love, shocking. I love that the cast shows up for this. And I think that that's, again, that's another thing that a, a, a well-regarded filmmaker gives you is a cast that wants to show up. I don't know that we talked about this on the show last week, but did you see that Matt Damon quote where he was like, he was going to take a break. He was going to, you know, like him and his family were talking about him taking a break to spend time. And he told his wife, he said, my one caveat is if Christopher Nolan calls, he's like, and then Christopher Nolan calls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, Damn it. It's pretty great. Uh, it's all right. Well, so folks, good. our top five real blends, top five movies of 2023 so far tied for fourth are Barbie, Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. Third place is John wick Four. second place place feels weird our number two is spider-man across the spider-verse and our number one slot halfway through the year a little over halfway through the year now is oppenheimer on that note why don't we take a quick break we're gonna come back on the other side with this week's interview we mentioned at the top of the show uh it is with david and patricia keely who each hold the title of a chief quality guru at the IMAX Corporation, they are the ones who are in charge of making sure that these films that we go to the IMAX theaters to go see play in the best possible quality and have a long standing relationship with Nolan. It's a terrific interview and we will have it for you momentarily. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. 
Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before I get to my first question, thank you both for joining our show. Um, I have to just set up the scene for a moment here because both Sean and I saw this at AMC Lincoln Square in 70mm IMAX with both of you sitting right behind us during the <laughs> film, which was a really cool experience. Um, but David and Patricia, just the idea of being there for that screening that night and kind of like, obviously with Christopher Nolan and the IMAX presentation, it's a it's a really big deal. And David, I've seen you uh, in, in at the Cinesphere in Toronto when you brought Dunkirk through there as well for TIFF. Um, when you go to those screenings, can you tell our audience like what you're looking for what while you're sitting there watching it like what is what's going through your mind as you watch the frames kind of go across the screen well as many times as you see these movies you're always looking for the details that will make it one two three percent better mm-hmm. most people wouldn't notice those small increments but christopher nolan and i do <laughs> and so does patricia so you're looking is the focus you know, how many line pairs per millimeter? You can maybe get, you know, 32 line pairs per millimeter out of the test chart. Are you at 30? And it's a question of like pushing the button just once. And then, you know, is the is this is the sound level, is the sub bass right? Um, or the speaker alignment correct? Um, is there uh are you on the field flattener? Is there because IMAX the only film format in the world that projects through a piece of plate glass, which is two segments high. Um, here's a piece of film and it's a little piece of glass and I push a field flattener button that has a wiper bar that moves the dirt away. So those are all <laughs> the things that I, that I, I'm doing to, and then Patricia's beside me. Um, and you have to, you got a hundred foot screen. So, you know, basically you've got to scan that whole thing. Your eyes are darting like crazy because if there's a piece of dirt, you want to hitch that button and get rid of it. And sometimes you miss it. And Patricia's there to give me the elbow um, <laughs> if, I, if I miss one. I'm pretty good, but um, what yeah. we try to do is that's an automated process that 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 uh, you you can have it on automatic. You can run it from the booth. But if you're in the audience, whenever Christopher Nolan's in the audience in a premiere, I have a remote control and I run that button from the audience. Oh, that's amazing. 
I think to, to set it up just a little more, that screening that, that you guys were at, that we're, we're sitting behind you, David and I have been working for, you know, days ahead of time to make sure that that screening was going to be the very best that it could. That was the junket screening. Chris was going to talk to you and everybody else in that room or some of the people in the room the next day. So it was super important to get you all, you know, in front of the best presentation possible to get everybody excited and pumped so that when you went to talk to Chris and, and the other actors, um, you had the very best experience um that you had the night before and, and you had uh, i rate i rate stuff a scale of one to ten i've never given a 10 to anything because uh <laughs> perfection is uh unattainable uh and unaffordable but excellent says and you you got a nine you got a nine out of uh, uh nine <laughs> out of ten on that one you could have <laughs> got a nine five and uh <laughs> oh what and, prevented it okay i'll tell you and it was the craziest <laughs> thing <laughs> um, if you look very carefully, um, let's see if I can do it here. Uh, why well, I want I, I can't do it, but anyway, on the upper right corner, there was a little dark mark, and there was in the middle. It was just like a fi a finger, like oh there you go, a finger like that, or was okay. it that of a dark mark? You could only see in one, four, three, and another one over there. Okay, so, you know what the hell is that? How did I miss that? And I'm like sweating, like. And so this is really funny. So the next week, all, you know, they, they've looked for it. They think they found it. And I come back the next week for the premiere, which was last Monday. Uh, and that morning, because I flew in uh, from, I don't know, we'd done the San Diego Dome thing the Saturday night. And so we looked for it. We took the, we took the condenser lens out. We looked at the thing. What the heck is that? <laughs> this is like the nuttiest thing in the world. We turned around and Chuck said, look at the window. I took a piece of wipe the window. It was gone. Oh my god! <laughs> In, <laughs> Something inside that's the window. So how smart are we? Yeah. <laughs> a smudge on the inside of the port window. And well, we, now you know. Now you know for the next time. <laughs> I know, but, but like anyway, no matter how no. hard you try, you never get it exactly right. But Nolan, <laughs> Chris loves the attention to detail. And uh, we could have got a nine five that day if we'd have looked at the inside of the window. It was <laughs> So, guys, there's a feature that uh, Kevin actually did for our listeners, which is um, once Oppenheimer started to scream, uh, if he's if they sent him their zip codes, he would find the closest theater uh, mm -hmm. that was presenting this uh, the film in 70 millimeter IMAX. And in some cases, folks drove uh, hours like across state borders to get to a location. We've had some international listeners who told us that they got onto flights in order yeah. to go find it in this format. So I guess my question is, why why do we not have more theaters that are capable of showing films in that format? What's holding that back? And do you think that they'll there are going to be more coming um, in the coming years? I think it's a question of quantity of films that are available in this format. If we had, you know, five or 10 Chris Nolans who were making films on an ongoing regular basis, then there would be the throughput to support this kind of a workflow. At the moment, you know, Chris is always encouraging other other filmmakers to certainly to capture on film and, and, and more people are capturing on film, I think, than were for a while. But they're not following through that whole photochemical process. They're not creating the release prints. They're not talking the studios into that, that the rest of that process, following it all the way through the release prints. And, 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 and there's, you know, there's complexity involved in that. Obviously, we're dealing with equipment that, you know, is, is not brand new. We're dealing with having to find projectionists. We had to find, you know, 
two, a minimum of two projectionists for each one of these 30 theaters that were in film. Mm. Um, that's one of the scarcest commodities. It's it's not always the hardware. It's it's the people who are experienced. And this is a very long, 11 mile long, as everybody's been talking about. Film print, it's expensive. You don't want it to be misthreaded or, or you know, any have any problems with it. So we need to find experienced projectionists. And it's it's difficult to do that. So I think, you know, we would need more projectionists. There's certainly people who are interested in having more film, but I think we need, realistically, we need more films in that format in order to keep the, the business case, you know, viable for doing mm. that. I mean, more theaters. But scarcity you know, is, Betty, Tasha, scarcity is important also. Um, you know, people want to see that particular version. And only 30 places in the world, but if you're passionate enough, you'll find a way to get there. Yeah, that's true. I want to bring our audience into this idea of how impactful both of you have been to the cinematic experience. And I know Batman Begins was not shot with IMAX cameras, but it was blown up for the IMAX screen. And then you get to The Dark Knight. For our audience, can you explain that relationship with no with Mr. Nolan, kind of how that developed? And it was the first movie ever to use those cameras for feature storytelling. It's kind of an astounding thing to think about. Well, you know, it, it's it's very simple to, to figure this out. Mr. Nolan, um, we have to start back at Batman Begins. And we did the DMR process. It was uh, Anamorphic 35 um, that, that Wally shot. Um, and uh, what we did is we did a we did a 4K film out of it, a 2391 on the IMAX frame, did, did, did a, a digital, uh, put, put those files onto the film, filmed it out. And then I got to meet Mr. Nolan and I was, was 4K and I said, you know, Chris, I really think that we could do a little bit better. I think we could do 6K. And, um, you know, some people said I was nuts, like it was good enough. So he let me, I think I had to go to London to get the files and I did three minutes at, at, at 6K. And was there a great difference? No, but there was a difference. And he kind of said, hmm, you know, this company really wants to do something special. So then with the prestige, um, he's he's getting interested, and so he wanted to know. Well, okay, if I do IMAX, like how can I? So they've only got X theaters. Then I don't know what we have, maybe four hundred or something. I don't know. And now we have seventeen hundred eighty-two countries. We had much less, but he wanted to make sure that we could. If you shot with IMAX, you could actually convert it into other media, like thirty-five, and do the release. So when the the guy's fingers are cut off in the Prestige, remember that shot? That yeah, shot was yeah. only shot in IMAX. Um, and and then he, he used oh, wow. that to convert it to all you know scanned it do the thirty five and that proved that you could use an IMAX element to do a regular release. Wow. So then he got really excited. So the, the the biggest amount of testing in IMAX history was with Chris and Wally. We shot for six months, hundreds of thousands of feet of film to see whether we could actually pull this off in IMAX. And he was considering shooting an anamorph or flat 35 so that he could get the 143 and then taking the 239 out of flat 35. And I kind of talked him out of that because I it must have been <laughs> to anamorphic 35. So anyway, th that's kind of the, that's how we started. Um, and, you know, we pulled it off. And of course that a kind of iconic shot of the building, you know, producer and I were at, you know, Howard Hughes, I think we, one of the first screenings we had IMAX theater. And when that came on, you could the audience would yeah. just hear the, the gasp uh, because yeah. you know yeah. if you if you haven't been a IMAX documentary person ever seen it before it's literally ten times better than any piece of thirty five you've ever seen 
So that was that was the beginning. Wow. Yeah, that opening shot is just astounding. And for people who aren't aware, you can actually still get these IMAX transitions. If you uh, watch it at home on the Blu-ray or the 4K, you can get mm-hmm. the the transfer to the 178, which is, looks really, really good. Sean, go ahead. You know, Patricia, the, the tickets to IMAX screenings uh, in Los Angeles, let's use this as an example, um, are are being compared to to Taylor Swift tickets in terms of how difficult they are to to get them Um, with a lot of these screenings being sold out for several days, if not even weeks. um, I want to get a sense from how that feels to you guys to to hear that the premium format is luring people in for Oppenheimer. And when's the last time that you guys can remember a movie getting that type of attention where, you know, it's almost built into the narrative of the film that like, oh, it has to be seen in IMAX. Yeah, well, Chris is so passionate about IMAX that, you know, everyone, he's very clear that that's his preferred format that he'd like you to see it in. And not only are his fans responding that way, but, you know, word of mouth is out there. The fantastic cast in this movie, the performances are amazing. So the groupies, the fans for those actors are also wanting to come out. It's just kind of growing and growing. And it's, you know, tremendously satisfying. We work just as hard on everybody's project, of course, but it's, just a little bit better when it's being so well received by everybody, not only the box office, but the reviews have been fantastic. And what I've noticed, it happened in that screening that you guys were at. Um, the movie's over. It's a dense three hours and the audience gets up and they kind of just take a pause and just, you know, think about what they've seen. And then they start chatting and they talk and they talk and they talk. And 20 or 30 minutes later, they're still there chatting with each other, trying to process what they've seen. That happened in, in influencer screenings with TikTokers. It happened in, in, you know, screenings that were packed with business executives. It didn't matter. It's just, it's a really uh, meaningful project to people and they want to share it with others and seeing it in a, in a large theater with lots of other people, that group experience is just very different than certainly it'll end up, you know, uh, being streamed eventually. It'll be on your phone, who knows, around, you know, on an airplane someday. It will not be nearly as impactful or as immersive. And everybody, you know, conclusion after talking for 20 to 30 minutes, usually I got to see it again. And yeah. we're getting a lot of, you know, people wanting to come back. So, it's going to be difficult because, as you say, tickets are sold out in the, in many of our theaters. The theaters have added a lot of shows, sometimes, you know, five shows a day. And for two projectionists to have five shows a day for seven days a week on an ongoing basis, that's a lot. Yeah, so. sure. And you have a, probably another film behind it that wants those screens also, sure. which is something you have to wrestle with. Yeah. We, and, yeah. And, you know, just, to, you know, all those projectionists doing that work and just to show you how the detail that Chris and Patricia and I put to all this the Thursday, last Thursday morning, um, we had a, a zoom meeting with all the projectionists, about 50 of them. Uh, and we had a video mm-hmm. with Mr. Nolan, um, you know, wishing them well. And to, you know, to <laughs> you're the last guy in the chain to put the quality on the screen. So That's we awesome. did that with interstellar. So that is his commitment and our commitment because it's, you know, for three hours, you know, to pay attention, um, uh, you know, and the BFI ran 24 hours a day the first weekend. And I talked to them. Everything is great. So it's all about attention to detail, not just the first time, but every time. And we haven't touched on sound, but you know, that's a very important part on our sound. And uh, you can you can feel it in your chest when uh, when the, those foot stomps go off and when the bomb goes off and the recoil and everything is mm. like. But you see, you've got to get that got to get that exactly right. Um, and you can't. Oh, it's loud, but it can, can't be over loud. But uh, yeah, it's a great experience. 
I love seeing certain filmmakers jump on shooting these with these cameras. But one of the things I find interesting about these cameras is they're notoriously very loud. But as the technology has progressed, you're starting to see more dialogue scenes in IMAX, specifically the feet stomping scene as well. And I just wonder, like, what changes and, and advancements have been made to get those cameras to be quieter? Ha, ha, has that at all evolved? And also with Jordan Peele, I think Jordan and Christopher Nolan are working on a new IMAX 65 millimeter camera from what I've heard. I, I was just wondering what advancements you've kind of noticed over the years in terms of that. Well, it, you're right. The IMAX camera is loud. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's three times louder than a five perf camera that he uses on the set. And that's surprisingly, it's not silent either. But there's been tremendous advancement in sound technology. Gary Rizzo, uh, who works as, as a mixer on the movie, has, has done some techniques for Chris. And um, uh, there is some dialogue in there that's original dialogue that they were able to 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 use. And not Chris doesn't like to loop. And I, I don't I don't propose to know to know all about that, but you know, it's filtering the sound without affecting the, 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 uh, the frequency of the, of the actor is a very important thing. We're working on uh, more technology in our cameras to make them slightly quieter. But, but remember, you know, I think, you know, many filmmakers actually almost dream in a, a two, three, nine, two, two, zero aspect ratio. A lot of them, the, the one, four, three is kind of foreign. And I, I think that's okay because you, those big expansive shots, you want them to be in IMAX and they're usually outdoors. And so therefore, if you're outdoors and, you know, the, you, you can get away with a lot more, you know, camera sound because you have the ambience of the outdoors, you can hide it a little bit. So I think it works, but we're, we're working very closely with a lot of technologists on filtering the sound and, and ways to make the IMAX camera quiet. But it will never be as quiet as a five perf camera. It, hmm. it's, it's, it's physics, um, uh, but we we intend to do more IMAX, and I think Chris wants to do more IMAX also. But this movie, because of its general nature, with the talking, the intimate dialogue, you're almost forced into the into the two two zero, and I think forced in a good way because I remember many people in the Dark Knight, which had twenty five minutes, I think, of IMAX and. Some people swore it was all in IMAX, and some people swore it was all in two three nine. If you get lot, if you if if you're watching format changes, you've lost the audience. You know, mm. Mm. I, I'd like to give a shout out to Hoyt then Hoytman, though, the cinematographer, because I think he is a you know a mm. brilliant artist. He dances with the camera. There were rules about you know how you could use the camera when you're making a documentary, nature documentary short. IMAX film. There were rules about how you would use the camera, and then Wally Fister came along, and he, you know, he expanded the way the camera could be used. And once Hoity got involved, he just picks it up, throws it on his shoulder. <laughs> but if you stand behind him while he's shooting, he's literally dancing and moving. You know, as the action is happening, he's adding a lot to the that image quality, and and I think that really has changed. Uh, the storytelling that that can be accomplished with an IMAX camera. It's the individual. It's not just the technology. It's it's how you use that technology and the comfort that you have and the experience and the skill. Mm -hmm. And Chris always has a very uh, skillful crew with him who he has a, a good trusting relationship with. And to, mm -hmm. to follow up on that, the ergonomics of the IMAX camera, because it runs horizontally, the camera is not high, even like the 5 per for the 35. It doesn't have a magazine on top. 
has a magazine behind. So it actually, oh. it's not, so it's actually, it's it's more um, uh, ergonomic to to ha- hold that camera than it is a five perf camera because it's not this high thing. So it's long <laughs> and slender. So he just loves putting on his shoulder. Whereas you know the the it, the 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 sixty five and thirty five cameras are top heavy because they have big magazines on the top. So um, and Hoity was really the guy who, you know, it was there staring at us all, but he figured that out pretty soon. Wow, that's amazing. I never even thought of it that way. Um, you mentioned, um, David, earlier the sound and how important it is to the immersion. Uh, and naturally, you guys can't be in every theater, uh, possibly showing one of the screenings. Um, so tell me from a quality con- control perspective, what is the one biggest challenge facing an individual theater that if you two could just snap your fingers and ensure that this was going to be the best possible thing in terms of helping the presentation what would it be what is still facing uh these individual theaters as they present at imax that's a really good question um it you want in a movie like this you obviously want the bomb to be loud mm-hmm. uh, and you want the the voices mm-hmm. to be clear uh and articulate and to get that balance correct the tuning of the theater is very important Mm-hmm. Uh, because Chris pushes it to the limit. Uh, he always does. And so therefore, to be at you know a specific decibel level, one one dB too 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 much is too much. One dB too low is too low. So to get that, he wants the very best. And to get it narrowed down in in a dialogue, you know, um, you know, a rom-com, I mean, you know, there's 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 no dynamic range in that in that track, sure. virtually. But in his, he's got the biggest dynamic range on the planet. So to get that correct is 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 something. And, and Patricia and I spent a great deal of time before your screening, and you you had it basically basically perfect. Um, and the BFI, we've got it basically perfect. And I've been to a nine nine of the IMAX theaters now. I intend, if Patricia lets me, go to four or five more. Um, <laughs> and, and just because I have a, if you remember the movie, all you need to listen to is the first three minutes okay. and aliens at the desk and you have the, you know, that the, the bomb blast or whatever it is. And it, I know exactly what numbers that should hit. And all I have to do is live with my meter and listen. And, and the other thing is very important. The first shot you've seen it, the, 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 the raindrops, well, we have a few little raindrops coming from the, the, the surrounds. And so I know if I can't hear those raindrops, then the surrounds are not exactly right. Um, and we go back and check that. I, it's it's an art, you know. You've got all these meters and stuff, and all the tuning and the you know the SPLs and the, but you really, once you get all that right, then you got to listen to it. Does it sound right? Because we don't actually have the tools of the of the of the human ear. You you have to listen to it and be familiar, and you say that's right. I'm usually tweaking it a little bit uh, after the screening because you know yeah that sounds right, but maybe it's a little bit too bright or it's a little bit too low. So it's trying to get consistency in audio um, is actually harder than getting consistency in picture. That's what we're describing. I think the the profession of uh, projectionist has changed, you know, greatly over time. And now very often we have technicians. We don't have projectionists. We have technicians. And seeing the pride that, you know, these projectionists take in these 30 film locations is really refreshing. And I think, you know, you asked, you know, what, what could people do? Like if every theater, what could happen? If, if, if every 
person who is involved in the show, if they took time and went into the auditorium, not just from the booth, but actually go to the auditorium and listen and look, um, I think, you know, that would make a, a huge difference. And, and we've lost some of that because these technicians are responsible for, you know, six, eight or 10 rooms, who knows how many they don't get to focus just on on the, the one experience, the way that they are now in these film locations, they're dedicated to that room. And so those presentations are going to be better just because you have somebody in there all the time paying attention to that room. That's something that's changed over the years that we, if we could bring that back in some way and pay more attention to the detail of what's happening in each of the auditoriums for everybody's movie. It would all yeah. be better. Well, but I, I IMAX has set the standard, I think, really for cinema around the world because, you know, we, we, we try, you know, for this, this high level and p people compare, compare us. And I think we've elevated the whole cinema experience because people say, well, you know, that's not, not as good as IMAX. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we do make mistakes too, but we strive for excellence and and we get pretty close and i think i think that's industry as producer said is needed because we used to have many many projectionists around the world and now with digital we don't have as many so there's not qualified technicians going to theaters looking at it. and imax has a program to make you know, we maintain our screens and that's very important to to filmmakers like jordan and uh and christopher I'll end on this because I, I got to bring this up. Your history together is fascinating to me. Your love of movies together is fascinating to me. And I was just curious if you could, as we let you both go, if you could tell us a little bit of your story, how you both met, how you kind of came into loving the IMAX format um, and how you've experienced this together for decades now. I'm just curious kind of what this has been like for you just on a personal level to share this with each other and kind of have that. I mean, it's really kind of a beautiful thing to have both of you on together at the same time and kind of both hearing you share your love for this format. Yeah. And our love for each other. Cause I mean, you know, this was, you, you're committed to this, you know, it, it's, it's a toss up. What's more important, you know, your family or, or making movies. <laughs> but Patricia, why, why, why don't you start off with uh, how this all, uh, I'll just say the first sentence. I was in film school at Ryerson in, in in one year after we were married in 1971. Take it from there, Patricia. <laughs> and we heard about this new format, this new film format that was opening up on the waterfront at a place called Zinisphere. So we were there opening day, of course, in the long line with everybody else. And as soon as the image came on the screen, I don't know if you've seen North of Superior, starts out small and it expands. As soon as it expands, David just said, I've got to figure out how to get involved. I mean, he just, I got to do this. So after he graduated from film school, I was teaching at the time. Mm -hmm. That's what was funding this at that moment in time. And David graduated the next spring and was hired by Ontario Place, not to be a filmmaker to begin with, but you know, you, you start at the bottom and, and you work your way up. And then he became an assistant director and was a producer of one of the, the films. And then we started specializing and I was still teaching at this time because you know, that's what you do. We were building a business and we specialized in the post-production of films and in helping people. And David came down to Los Angeles to help with the post-production because that's where the lab was and that's where that work was done. And, and we were living in Toronto at the time. I remember being called to the office one afternoon as I was teaching for an emergency call. The emergency call was David saying, well, I'm on my way to Los Angeles. I have this roll of film. It has to go. I've taken all the money out of the bank. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't know when I'll be back. <laughs> and 
you know, it was just one of those things. We've just, we've looked for, for niches, you know, things that customers needed to be done to make their project better. You don't say no, you say, tell me more about it. You know, how can we figure it out? And it's, it's that challenge and that evolution of technology and everything else that keeps it interesting and keeps us interested in it. And people say, you know, how, how can you be doing this, you know, more than 50 years later? Well, it's not the same job at all. It has changed, you know, considerably over that time. Over that time, we also had, you know, three kids who were involved in this as well, one way or another, whether they wanted to or not. They, you know learned the business just because that's what the conversation was around the dinner table. And David, <laughs> for the first 25 years we were married, David spent, you know, 60% of his time in Los Angeles, flying back and forth and back and forth. Mm. And we had, you know, one of the parts of the business was in Toronto and another part was in Los Angeles. And then we merged the two of them together in 1997 and moved here with three teenagers and recreated the business. And, you know, we're still here today so it's wow. been I say this evolution but it's a team there are definitely things david is better at definitely things i'm better at and it's that sort of respect and knowing that the other person this is something that that person like david's going to talk about aspect ratio absolutely i am not going to get in that conversation <laughs> <laughs> but that's like things. my marriage to kevin it's very similar <laughs> <laughs> but there are things that he knows i'm better at too you know he, he looks after this that and, and the other thing and then everything else Figure this out for me, please. And we built a business, which we then sold to IMAX in 1988. And we've been a subsidiary oh, wow. of IMAX ever since and still uh, work here oh. at IMAX. But Patricia, you know, things have changed, but one thing has not changed. The original founders built a 15-perf 65-millimeter IMAX camera, and, and it's 51 years, and there's nothing still that will touch it. Now, there's a new camera that's supposed to be 300 megapixels, the Sphere camera. But, you know, that's bare pattern, not full RGB color. It will be very good, but there's still nothing today that can capture the the, the random warmth of, of silver halides, you know, 13 times more nuanced than a pixel will ever be um, going through the camera. And that's part of the love of, of, of uh, you know, what Mr. Nolan, M Nolan loves. And I think, Kevin, we've shown you, you know, our little producer worked in this. I don't know whether it um, – th th this is our – this is our version of what's the difference between film and digital. Um, why, oh. can I, why can't I get this? <laughs> no, it doesn't want to do it. But anyway, there, there, one of these, I'll just put, so there, there's the, the randomness of silver halides, and there's the uh -oh. non-randomness of, of bare pattern. And if I flip this, you'll see how it changes. No, there it we go. dances. Oh, my oh, gosh, yeah. wow. Look at that. So that that's our... Uh, Feeble attempt to show you the difference between between digital uh, uh, film at the top uh, and digital at the bottom. So it's wow. it's part of our love affair as well as Chris's with you know the photochemical process. It's different and kind of fun. It's amazing, well, guys. We yeah, we appreciate you both. No, no, I just want to say your son Jeff is the reason that we got this interview together, which is so cool. So we appreciate that. What were you going to say, Patricia? I'm sorry, Patricia. I was just going to say, you can see in the, in the film half of that page that that more closely replicates everything that's that's genuine and organic, you know, on your face. You don't have those square edges and you don't have those definite colors. Everything is, is you know, flexible and, and gives you much more information. So when you have a film print on the screen, 
people have difficulty describing, you know, why it feels better. It feels better, I think, because it's more organic. It's more like what you're used to seeing in nature. It just feels better. And you engage more with this. It's a storytelling tool on its own that it's in film. I think the audience responds to that, let alone all the magical other things that Chris Nolan brings to the storytelling. Um, with based on the response to the film, you know, this past weekend and and with like we said, everybody sort of grabbing their tickets to IMAX, we thought this was the ideal time to get you guys on. We are so honored uh, to have you guys on the show. You can tell that we're nerds like you guys are and uh, passionate about the theater going experience and specifically the film. And so I uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you so much. We're glad to be part of a part of the adventure of keeping film alive. We want to thank uh, David and Patricia Keeley for joining the show and our friends at IMAX for helping set that up. And also, Kev, I want to give you all the credit in the world because I think it just came up in like some sort of conversation or passing. I was going to say about yeah, thank you to Jeff Keeley. It's been it was a whole family affair to get yeah, them on. It yeah. really was. Yeah. But the minute that it was suggested, Kevin was like, oh, my God, we need to get them on. Like they are so important to to Nolan and the way that his movies are presented and the work that they've been doing at IMAX. And what really struck me is um when it was mentioned in conversation before we got them of how they'd been doing this at IMAX for 50 years and like my, you know, negligent brain, I didn't even realize that IMAX had been around for that long. I didn't realize that it was a format that people were going to go see movies in for that long. So the fact that they've been doing it for as long as they have and together as a couple was just yeah. remarkable. And I love that they told that story on the show. So we know a lot of you guys went to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer. Some of you did the double feature, according to things we've been hearing on social media. So let us know uh, in the comments below the YouTube channel, whether Barbie uh, and or Oppenheimer made it into your top five, your own personal top five of the year so far. Let us know where it stands. Uh, give us an idea of what your number one is. Give us your one through five. And um, and hopefully you guys enjoyed the list as we put together for our show. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. We will come back with a new episode next week um, where we continue to see how these two films do and then start to talk about where the industry is going from this point forward because it's about to get real interesting, especially as we get into the fall film festivals and the movies that are going and not going and how the industry is dealing with the strike. So we have a lot more stuff to talk about as the rest of the year plays out. In the meantime... Follow us on social media, as you guys always do, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show itself is at Real Blend. Please give it a follow. Uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new show. Talk to you guys then. Barbenheimer. The man who moved the earth. Any movie literally at all. Someone come on the show in the fall. <laughs> yeah, please. Please. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.